Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Good morning. I want to invite you to take your Bible and go with me to Luke chapter 1. It's where we're going to be today for our main text as we consider what it looks like in our life to live with hope. If you were here last week, you know that we began a new series, a, an Advent series called Something Greater. And we saw that in the Gospels that Jesus was clear in his personal testimony uh, that there were some good, but that he was the greatest. In fact, uh, Mark last week, grateful for Mark filling in, and uh, he reminded us from that passage that Jesus said, listen, if you think the temple is good, you ain't seen anything yet, right? If you think the prophets are good, if you think uh, that Solomon or the kings are good, you haven't seen anything yet. And so we are in this journey through the Christmas season of seeing the significance of the arrival of Christ as God's incarnation, God coming to his people and seeing truly that Jesus is greater and how that makes the difference, not just for this Christmas season, but how it makes the difference in your life. As I said, this series is an Advent series. If you're not familiar with that word, it comes from the Latin Adventus, which means coming. It's the expectation, anticipation of the arrival of someone significant. And so uh, the reason that's important for the church is because we want to make sure with everything that goes on with the holidays that we are in a place in our hearts being prepared and focused on the significance of what this season is truly about. We are grateful for all the traditions that come with Christmas, but we understand that the significance of Christ's arrival takes of greater significance than anything else that we would want to be about. And so uh, each week as we walk through this preparation this anticipation of Christ's coming. We've got a different word that we're going to focus on. And can you guess what today's word is? Hope. Very good. Some of you were listening. We're talking today about hope. Now, at the mention of that word, for some of you, that just feels like such a fleeting idea. You would say, Michael, if you, if you knew the reality of my life, if you knew the path that I've walked, if you knew the circumstances that are staring me in the face, that already today you, you have already entered in this time in a defensive posture because the idea of hope seems foreign to you. The reality is today people are longing for hope more than ever and um, scholars tell us that people uh, are actually walking in hopelessness more than ever. In fact, a study coming out of COVID and everything that went on with COVID with the isolation and other factors. Um, they did a study based on the generations and found that those that are age 25 and younger were found to be, uh, have a feeling of hopelessness almost twice as much as those over the age of 25. So sometimes we like to think about a younger generation that is young and energetic, adventurous, ready to tackle life. But what we're finding in our culture is that people are longing for hope. They're longing for something that is bigger than themselves. They're longing for something to pull them through the messy times of life and through the mundane times of life. They're, they're longing for something deeper, richer, of more substance in their life than just what our culture can throw at us. Let me ask you a pointed question today. Are you living with hope in your life? 
Is there a a deep-rooted hope in your life? I think today as we work through our time together today in God's Word, I think you're going to see how this Christmas season can be a game-changer when it comes to, to what it means to have hope in your life. Today we're going to begin by looking... Briefly, we're going we're gonna to work through it in our time today, but I want to touch on it briefly. The prophecy of Zechariah found in Luke chapter 1. Because I believe it is a beautiful expression, not just of praise, but it is an expression of hope. And that as we work through this prophecy, we're going to see, I believe, where you and I today, regardless of what we're facing, regardless of what our spiritual resume looks like, regardless of the state of our family, regardless of any of that, that we can be people who walk with a true Hope. I want to invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to be, as I said, in Luke chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 67. We're going to go through verse 71 in our opening time here. The Word of the Lord says this. Then his father, speaking of John the Baptist, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited... And provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us and the house of his servant David. Just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. Let's pray together. Lord, today we, we walk into this room today in all sorts of different places in life. Some today were filled with grief, some are filled with anxiety, some with doubt, some, or some of us walk in here today and we just feel like we have no purpose in life. Some of us today walk in and we're just locked into you, Lord. We're, we're all over the map. But God, I believe every single one of us today, we need to hear from you. And every single one of us need to be reminded that there is a true hope that can be found in this life. And that that true hope is found in you. And so God, I'm going to do my very best. And I pray that Spirit of God, that you would take my feeble attempt and that you would speak to your people. God, would we know today that you're present with us? Would we know today that you long to speak to us? And that in the preaching of your word today, God, that it would be more than informative but it would be transformative in our life. This time that we have together would matter. It would matter for our lives today. It would matter for our lives for all of eternity, God. We pray that we would not miss this moment. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. Today as we examine... This prophecy of Zechariah, and now as it had come to his, um, to, to his mind, his reality, that, that Jesus was coming, the Messiah was coming, and that he was going to have a son named John who was going to play a significant part of it. As I said, we see this significant expression of praise, and I believe of hope. And today, our takeaway is simply this, that Christ's arrival brings a greater Hope. Christ's arrival brings a greater hope. And we're going to see this expressed through this story or this moment here with Zechariah as he's joyfully praising God in response to the fact that Jesus was coming. Now, when we think about hope, 
Right? And many times when we talk about hope, especially in a sermon context like this, we, we want to make sure to understand the differences that we're speaking of here. Oftentimes when people think about hope, you're thinking more about wishful thinking. Right? You're, you're hoping for this or you're hoping for that. And, and the foundation of that hope is really a desire for a future outcome or a future result based on a certain situation or relationship circumstance. The biblical hope that we're speaking of today Biblical hope is something so much greater than that. I love this quote from David Allen speaking about what true biblical hope is. He says, hope is faith's future tense. He says, hope makes plans. Hope waits for the delayed but guaranteed fulfillment. Do you feel the difference there? On one hand, you have wishful thinking of just saying, I hope things turn out. I'm hoping for the best. But on the other hand here, the idea that David Allen puts forward is is that hope is a delayed but guaranteed fulfillment. I've given you this picture before, but I think it's most helpful for you kids in here today. If you were to tell your parents, hey, I want to get this for Christmas, and you simply express what you would like to receive, you're hopeful that you'll get that gift. But the only thing that you're really hoping in is that you've told them. But on the other hand, if mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or aunt or uncle came to you and they said, hey, guess what? I got you a new bike for Christmas. You'll open it on Christmas morning. Well, now there's a new type of hope, isn't it? Because it's not just a wishful thinking of, I hope I get a bike. It is, listen, aunt, uncle, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, they told me a bike is coming. And so now my confidence is not just in hoping things are going to work out, but because someone has said it's going to be, there is a confidence, there is a resolve, a calm resolve that is so much more than just wishful thinking. I love in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, it refers to hope as being an anchor to our soul. Don't you love that picture? That this type of hope, it is a delayed but guaranteed fulfillment. It is an anchor to our soul that cannot be moved by the whims of life. You think about what kind of anchor wishful thinking would be. That's a pretty weak anchor, isn't it? Because what are you hoping in in that, in wishful thinking? It's, it's simply in chance, in a sense, right? But what about an anchor of a delayed guarantee? Now look with me real quick. You can turn there if you want. But Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. I want you to see this today because it's going to serve as a good foundation for us. To be able to build the idea of hope in this Advent season is more than wishful thinking, but building it on something that is more than just the sand, but is building it on the rock. Look with me beginning in verse 17. It'll be on the screens. He says, because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. He's speaking here in this promise that God had given to Abraham. We'll talk about that uh, next week. He says, but he guaranteed it with an oath so that, and listen to this, two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. So again here, we see this definition, this understanding of hope, an anchor to the soul, firm and secure. But what is the author of Hebrews building that hope upon? Well, he says here, it is by two unchangeable things. And for time's sake, I'm going to give you the answer to the test. All right? It is God's character. And it is God's promise. 
When he's thinking here about this covenant that God would make, he's thinking here of who God is and what God has said. These two unchangeable things. And because of these things, he's saying that hope is not just wishful thinking of I hope things turn out with the decisions I'm making as I go through life. But he's saying there's something greater here. It is this anchor in our soul. It is a deep-rooted hope. I think there's a great picture of this that we find in the Old Testament, a story that I would confidently say that almost every single one of us in here know, and it's about a man named Noah. Now, I know you don't think of Noah when you think of the Christmas story, and that's okay. But if you remember, in Genesis chapter 6, it tells us that God was looking on his creation, and it says that evil abounded everywhere. E evil was happening everywhere, and it was nothing but evil all the time. And God in that moment, in his sovereign desire, his sovereign will, said that he was going to bring earthly, listen to this, earthly judgment on his creation through a worldwide flood. You remember the story? You with me? All right, two by two, you with me? Yep, animals in the ark, okay. Two by two, right, we're going into the ark. So this worldwide flood is going to come, but in the midst of this judgment, this earthly judgment, it says that God saw a man named Noah. And Noah was, listen to this, he was righteous. He was seen as righteous, he had favor with God, and God had given him instructions to build an ark for his family and two of every animal. And scholars say that somewhere between the next 70 to 120 years, Noah did what the Lord commanded. Now, I want us to think for a moment. Right? Some of us in the workplace, we're, we're given tasks to do, and we think, man, what is the purpose of this task? And that can bring frustration, right? But I want you to think of giving your life, 70, 120 years of your life, to building a boat when you don't see any rain in the 10-day forecast. Day after day after day after day. Hearing the jeers of your friends. Hearing the comments of those around the community. He's crazy. This old man Noah, he's foolish. And day after day after day, he's building a boat with no flood in sight. Why? Because of two unchangeable things. God's character. Noah knew who God was. And God's promise. He had promised Noah that the judgment was coming. And that in this ark, that he would find for he and his family and for two of every creation, that he would find salvation. Deep down, Noah knew that God had spoken. Noah trusted his character. He trusted his promise. It wasn't wishful thinking, but it was the delay and a guaranteed fulfillment. And what we find in Genesis chapter 9 is that after this moment, that God does exactly what he said he was going to do. Noah builds the boat. The rains come. It says the water burst up from the ground. There's a worldwide flood. Afterwards, Noah and his family, they step out of the ark onto dry land. And God in Genesis chapter 9, he makes a covenant. That is a commitment that God is going to make. And we're going to see these covenants all throughout the Old Testament. Last week, if you were here, you heard Mark talk about the Edemic covenant, right, that God made with creation, right, because of sin. And there was a curse that came, and we saw how Christ was greater than that covenant. And today I want you to recognize from Genesis chapter 9, God made a covenant with his creation, an unconditional covenant. 
wasn't based on humanity's obedience or disobedience. God just simply said, listen, I'm making a covenant with you that I will never again bring an earthly judgment on the world through a worldwide flood. And for that, we say, amen, right? Thank you. Right? That, that was a covenant that he made. In fact, he said that I'm going to put a sign for you in the clouds to show this commitment. What was that sign? Rainbow. Good. And so he had made this covenant of saying, listen, this is, this is a promise that I'm making to you that I'm no longer ever again will I bring earthly judgment on the wickedness of this world through a worldwide flood. So, when we look at the, the Noahic covenant is the word that we use there for that. For the Noahic covenant, right, it was good. Am I right? It's good, right? It's good when I'm having to worry about that, right? If hearing Jared Floyd or one of our meteorologists say it, hey, next Thursday, not great, right? That was a joke, all right? So, right, the Noahic covenant was good. But here's the reality. Advent is the expectation the anticipation of something greater. Something greater. You see, the promise of not having another worldwide flood for earthly judgment is good. But something has to be done to settle not just our earthly judgment, but our eternal judgment. Because you see, our eternal judgment lasts forever. And if something could be done about our eternal judgment, not just our earthly judgment, then that would be far greater than just what happens here on earth. And when I speak of eternal judgment, some of you, you understand what I'm saying today. Some of you may not. But the Bible is clear. The Bible tells us that every single person, it comes once for a man to die and then to stand judgment. It means that you and I, in fact, if you stretch the timeline out long enough, you know what the death rate is? It's 100%. That every single one of us, we will stand judgment before God and we will give an account for our life. There is an eternal judgment that will come. And at that moment, as we read about in, in Matthew, in the passage that we read today in our, in our scripture reading time, reminded us of that judgment that will come, that separation from the wheat from the tares. And at that moment, my relationship with God is all that will matter. And so while we look to a Noahic covenant and say, man, that was good, right, that we don't have to worry about this earthly judgment through a worldwide flood, the reality is there is something greater that needs to be done about our eternal judgment. How do I get into a right relationship with God? And that's where for today, Luke chapter 1 helps us to know how to have a hope that is like that anchor to our soul. Because although the Noahic covenant was good, Jesus is greater. And so what we find here in Luke chapter 1 is a story of another righteous man. Another righteous man who found favor in the eyes of God. Another man who shared the same type of hope that Noah shared, but this was for something greater. And in Luke 1, for time's sake, we're not going to read it all. You can see it in the first part of chapter 1. But, but we're introduced to this man named Zacchaeus, or sorry, Zacharias, not Zacchaeus, uh, Zacharias, who with his wife, the Bible says again, they're righteous in God's sight. But just because they're righteous doesn't mean life, e life is easy, and it doesn't mean that things always go the way they want. In fact, it tells us that they were of old age and they were without a child. But it tells us in what had to be one of the most unforgettable moments, one of the most unforgettable days of Zacharias' life, that the angel Gabriel shows up to him and he says, listen, Zacharias, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son and you're to name him John. 
John is going to be great in the eyes of the Lord, and he's going to prepare the way of the Messiah. And it goes on to tell us in Luke chapter 1 that in response to, uh, in response to this angelic vision and, and, and learning of this, it tells us that Zechariah has unbelief. How could this come to pass? How could this happen? It tells us that he becomes deaf and mute until the appointed time. And so uh, eventually we see in the first part here, I'm sorry, previous to where we're reading today in 57 uh, through 66, we see where, where Elizabeth has the baby and they say, we're going to name it John. And everyone's like, you can't name it John. That's a terrible name. You need to name a name that goes with your family. And, and they say, they turn to Zechariah. What are you going to name him? And he says, we're going to name him John. And as he writes down, we're going to name him John, he begins to speak, and the people are amazed. And then we find, out of the overflow of all that's taken place, this prophecy in verse 67, where truly we get to see a hope that is anchored to our soul. Let's look again here in verse 67, chapter 1. He says, Then his father... Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And it helps us to understand that what we're about to dive into here is, is not just the opinion or the feeling of a man, but this is a man that is full of the Spirit and is now going to prophesy. This is a revelation from God that he is now going to give forth. It means it's relevant for our life today. It means it matters. Several things I want you to see in this passage today of what it looks like for you to understand that although this covenant of the past of earthly judgment may have been good, that Jesus is greater because of what he does for our eternal judgment. And how in that reality, it can provide a hope for you in your life, no matter how much chaos you're walking through right now. The first reality as we look at his prophecy here is to understand that there is a hope because we knew the hope that Christ had come. The hope that Christ had come. We're going to be in verse 68. Blessed is the Lord. The God of Israel. Why? Because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. Zechariah's understanding here that in the coming of the Messiah was the coming of God himself. In fact, he's going to reiterate it again here in verse uh, 78, where he's going to say uh, that the dawn on high will visit us. There is a hope in the reality that God has become present with his people. Why, why, would, why would this reality of, of the incarnation of Jesus, of Jesus stepping out of heaven and wrapping himself in flesh and becoming fully human, why, why would that provide hope for us? Well, I would say this, because of two unchangeable things. God's character and who God is. It provides hope in my life that is an anchor to my soul because I know that my God is not some cosmic being that is sitting on a throne that is out of touch with reality, but he is a God that wants to come near into my life. We think in this season of life of the prophecy of Isaiah 7 where it says the virgin will conceive and give birth and we'll call him what? Emmanuel, God with us. That, that, that this God is a God who loves to be with his people. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. God loves to be with his people. And listen, that should provide a deep-seated hope in your life. Maybe today you feel like those disciples on the boat in the storm. Maybe you've forgotten who's in the boat with you. Maybe you've forgotten that, that God longs to be present with you and walks with you. And so our hope comes in God's character, but it also comes in the same way that it would have for Noah in God's promise. 
his promise. And incredible that, that as you see here in verse 70, right? When Zechariah here is speaking, he says, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. Right? Zechariah, in this moment, he realizes that this idea of God coming in the form of a baby, coming in the flesh, is not a recent development. It is something from the very beginning, as we saw last week, this hint to us of the offspring of the woman, that, that his heel would be bruised, but the head of the serpent would be crushed, that there was one that was coming. So it provides hope for us today because God came. It, it reminds us of his character. It reminds us that God is faithful to his promises. Second is not just the fact that he visited, but it was the why he was visiting. This is the hope that Christ would redeem we see it there in 68 through 71. He says, because he has visited, what to provide? If you're writing in your Bible, you can circle this word, redemption. He goes on in verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. This is not just the friend who stops by just to see what's going on and to hang out. Jesus was clear in his personal testimony that he had come to seek and to save the lost. He was coming on a rescue mission for those who were in sin. And so there is a hope for us today, but when we remember, maybe for us it's learning for the first time, maybe today you've lost that hope because you forgot why Christ came. He came on a mission, and that was to redeem humanity from their sin. The word redemption, it means to purchase back, to buy back. The Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that you and I might become the righteousness of God, that we might have right standing with God, not because of what we do, but that we might have right standing with God because of Christ's coming and his redeeming, him paying the penalty for your sin and for my sin. This was Christ's coming to care for our eternal judgment. So that we might have hope in the most important moment of our lives when we stand before God and give an account for our life. That we can have a deep-seated hope that, that Christ has taken care of it for us. Think about Zacharias. The Bible tells us that he was a priest. And day after day after day he would go there into the temple and he would facilitate or he would be present at the sacrifices of the Jewish people. As they would come to the temple and offer sacrifices to to worship Lord for the atonement of their sin. I just think for, for Zechariah, the hope that must have come, that as the author of Hebrews mentions to us, that, that there was sacrifices day after day after day, but in the coming of Christ, he was the ultimate sacrifice, the one that would atone for sin once and for all. And here's Zechariah in this moment, this overflow of praise to God because he knows the Messiah has come and that Messiah is coming to redeem and to bring salvation. I've said this to you every Christmas season and I'll say it to you every Christmas season, I'm your pastor. That Jesus is the greatest gift you've ever been given because he meets the greatest need you've ever had. He's the greatest gift you've ever been given because he's met the greatest need that you'll ever have. And that is your, your sin problem, the separation between you and God. And that God in his love for you has sent Christ to do that. And why does that matter? Why, why does that reality of knowing that he has met my sin problem, what does that matter for how work's going right now or how a relationship's going in my life? Let me tell you this. I, I think one of the greatest um, 
characteristics in people that I admire the most is generosity. I just love people who live a generous lifestyle, whether that's with their finances or their time, right, their resources. They're just generous people. And if we were to ask the question, right, what, what is, what's the most generous thing you could do for somebody? I think most people would say, well, the Bible says, and the greater love than this, to lay down your life for your friends, right? But one of the most generous acts that I think we see in our culture is, is organ donation. I know you're thinking, whoa, Michael, we just took a turn here. We did, hang with me, all right? right and, and, and probably all of us know someone, family member, a friend who lost a, a loved one, an untimely death, and, and in their death, they were able to give back through organ donation. And we honor that and value that as we absolutely should. But there's also an element of this where it's not just an untimely death, but it is in the choice of a friend, right? Where you have one friend and maybe it's a kidney or some other organ that, that they're in need. And, and if they don't get a transplant, then, 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 then the, the, the ability for them to continue living or to have a quality of life is not there. And you see this incredible generosity of someone who says, I will willingly give up one of my good organs. And I will give it to you. I'm not putting you in debt into my life. I'm just giving it to you so that you can have life. Now, I want you to imagine a scenario where this person who's received, let's say a kidney, they've received a kidney from a friend. And they're alive. They have now been given the hope of a future life, a healthy future life and years in front of them. Imagine five years down the road if there's a situation that comes into their life. And they've got a need. How foolish would it be for them to question if this friend would be willing to step in and to help them in their time of need? How foolish would that be? Of course they would be willing. They literally gave you a part of their body so that you can continue to live. Why would you doubt that they would be willing to step in and to help you in maybe a more immediate need? A biblical hope that anchors our soul it anchors our soul because it knows if God has taken care of my greatest need, he absolutely can meet me in my immediate need. And some of us today, those immediate needs of our life have a spinning out of control. And instead of going to a self-help book or seven steps to this or three principles for this, we just need to go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what? God knows me. He knows the darkest parts of my life and he loves me still. And Jesus went on that cross and took that punishment for me. And, and he has met my greatest need in, in providing forgiveness of my sin. And if I am trusting him with my eternity, I can trust him with tomorrow. It's a hope that is anchored to our soul. Several other observations I want to give you in the text today. One is this. It's a hope that fearlessly serves I love this. Again, just thinking about Zacharias, this priest, and what it must have looked like for him to live his life out there in the temple. He says there at the end of verse 73, he has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. There's a pandemic of hopelessness in our younger generation. There's also a pandemic of purposelessness in our younger generation. Many people, college age, young adults are struggling in life to determine what is their purpose? What are they trying to do with their life? You see, the reality is that the hope that we have as believers in Christ and understanding why the arrival of Jesus changes everything is because if you know Christ, you know your purpose. 
And that's to live for him and to live your life in a way that shows compassion towards others and expresses the heart of God and impacts all of eternity. And we see here, he says, listen, since we have been rescued, again, it's going back to this idea of his redemption and the Messiah that was coming. And he says, in that, we serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. So I hear, I want you to catch this today. This is important. This is identity. This is who you are. What did we say about Noah? Who was Noah? He was a man who was righteous, right? What did we see about Zechariah? It told us that he and Elizabeth were what? They were righteous. And you look at your life and you say, listen, I ain't righteous. And listen, we know in our behavior, we're not. But in our identity, the Bible says that when we are in Christ, that his blood covers our sin and we are now seen as righteous before him. And in our identity, in our righteousness, in our holiness, in who we are, it means that we're no longer a servant, as Jesus said. You're no longer a servant. You're my friend. You're no longer a slave to sin, but you're now an heir. You are a child of God. You are a daughter. You are a son of the king. And in that reality, there is a hope that I can give my life to serve him fearlessly. There's a purpose for my life that I get to live out. The last observation I want to give us today from this text is hope that God's mercy is real. Hope that God's mercy is real. Look at verse 78 and 79. This might be my two new favorite Christmas verses. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the good news of Jesus. He says, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I love this. We see the motivation. Why, why, would, why would God send his only son to come in the vulnerability and the humility of this baby to two teenage parents? Why would he choose to step into a creation that had rebelled against him and continues to do so? It's because of his merciful compassion. It's because that's the heart of who this God is. He, is. he abounds with steadfast love. So the motivation is simply his mercy. It's his character. It's who he is. And, and here's the picture of the gospel. The dawn from on high. Isn't that a beautiful description of Jesus? The dawn from on high. What will he do? He will visit us. Philippians 2, he will lower himself. He will become a servant, right? He will visit us, what? To shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of their death. Listen, here's the hope for all of us today. Whether you're in here today and you feel like you've never been closer to the Lord than you are right now, or if you're in here today and you would say with great confidence, I am farther from God than anyone else in this room. Here's the hope today. God's mercy is real. His mercy is real. It is real for you, for those that are walking with the Lord. His mercy is real to keep strengthening you and encouraging you to keep pressing on and to be living a life that's bringing favor to him. For those that are here today, you read those passages. You hear him talk about the one that is living in darkness, the shadow of death. You might say today, Michael, there's not two better phrases to describe my life right now. And here's the truth. When we think about living in darkness, it's easy for us to think about what's on the outside. But today, I'm concerned more about what's on the inside. 
Some of you today, you're continuing to go through the rhythm, rhythms of life. You're continuing to do the family thing. You're continuing to stay busy at work. You're seeing a lot of success on the outside. But the reality is, your heart has never felt darker. You've never felt like you've walked in more guilt or more shame. You've never felt more displeased with life. You just feel like you're walking in darkness. Some of you today, to hear that phrase, a shadow of death, you'd say, Michael, that just eats me up because that's where I'm at. I want you to notice today that it is to those exact people that God's mercy sends his son. He doesn't say, I'm going to come to the ones that have got it all together. I'm not going to come to the ones that have cleaned life all out. I'm not going to come to the ones who have faithful children. No, he says, it is God's mercy on them. What, to leave them there? To beat them up and to make them feel bad over their sin? No, what does he say? To guide them. To guide their feet into the way of peace. Listen, there's hope for you today. And no matter what your life has looked like to this point, today is not the finish line. God's hand is mighty to save and his hand, his merciful hand can reach down into the darkest of situation and the dawn from on high can come and visit and to be present with you. So I don't know, as you've been in this journey of life, as you found yourself walking into this Christmas season, maybe it's been a lot of wishful thinking. But I pray today that as we go into this Christmas season, we would go with an anticipation of hope. That in Christ's coming, it changes everything. The removal of earthly judgment through a worldwide flood, man, that's good. But a king coming in the form of a baby to rescue his people, that is great. And even though we're in the darkness and the shadow of death because of our sin, God's merciful compassion led him to send Christ for us. And it changes everything. The hope in what he's done, it is an anchor to our soul. The hope that he is coming again is an anchor to our soul. Let me ask you clearly today, do you know that hope? Do you know that hope in your life? Do you know with a strong resolve in your life that your hope in your life is not wishful thinking that you'll do bigger or better, but that you've trusted in the one who has met your greatest need? Today you have that opportunity. Would you bow your head with me all across this room? firmly believe that in a room this size, those that are watching online or TV, there's some in here today, you've been living your life through wishful thinking. You're hoping tomorrow is better, but honestly, there's, there's really nothing to put that hope in. And that's been the pattern of your life. And today, I want you to know that there is a true hope that can be an anchor to your soul. But it's not found in yourself. It's found in one that laid in a wooden manger. That would go to a cross to meet your greatest need. And today, I just want to ask that if we could just imagine here for a moment that I don't know there's a lot of people in this room, but if, this could just be a moment for me and you. And, and I would just want to ask you clearly as a friend to a friend, what would stop you 
from putting your hope in Christ? What is it that's keeping you from trusting in him to come into your life and to change you, to give you that hope, to meet your greatest need, for you to be able to live knowing that if he's met my greatest need, he's gonna walk with me in my most immediate needs. Maybe today, right now in this moment, you need to say yes to Jesus. By faith, you need to say yes to him, that you believe that he came and that he died and he rose again. And right now in the stillness of your heart to ask God to come into your life, to forgive you of your sin, to tell God that you wanna turn from that. You wanna turn from your past and your sin. You're ready to turn towards him and, and to live for him as his child. The Bible says you can do that right now by faith. Just say it in your heart to him. Maybe today you're here and you are a believer in Christ. And the reality of the gospel message has grown silent over the months. And the immediate needs of life, the challenges of life, and we know that they're there. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. We know they're there. But life just feels so out of balance because you've gotten to a place where you're putting your hope in yourself. It's in your wishful thinking. And today the Spirit of God is whispering softly but firmly into your heart. I and I alone am the anchor to your soul. And right now in this moment, you just need to repent. Just come back to him and say, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for your merciful compassion that doesn't give up on me. And today I put my trust in you. Once again, God, I'm trusting in you to be that anchor in my soul. Lord, today, we recognize that we all long for hope in our life. Lord, I believe that sometimes when we think about that word hope, we, we think it means happy and joyful. But Lord, sometimes hope is steady and sure. Thank you that the gospel, Jesus, thank you that you have come in your mercy for us. Your mercy for our sin. To come and to take our place. To come and stand in that place that we deserve. So that we might find grace and kindness and forgiveness. And Lord, knowing that you have done that for us, would it, would it be a true hope in our life that we live with every day? Thank you that your grace is greater. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church at 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.